Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Hey there. Welcome to the program. Delighted to have you with me today, or if you're listening to the recorded version, uh, delighted to have you listening in whenever it is that you're listening. Um, These are your 45 minutes. Uh, We do this once a week, most weeks. Uh, Occasionally my travel schedule gets in the way, and we've run into some choppy travel schedule waters lately, but um, we seem to be back on track uh, with the parent program at least. And in fact, next week, just in case you missed it last month, next week our parents panel will be... uh, gathering together again, this time not just with two parents, but with four, uh, all just getting together to talk about uh, challenging kids, what goes into living with them, what goes into helping them, successes people have had with collaborative problem solving, difficulties people have had with implementing the model. Um, I look forward to the uh, parents panel every month, and uh, next week we'll do our second one. but speaking of it being your 45 minutes, this is this is the time to call in and uh, if you want to get uh, the support you're looking for, get the information you need, get your questions answered. Um, call in. That call in number again is three four seven nine nine four two nine eight one three four seven nine nine four two nine eight one. And as always, if you are not the calling in type. You can always send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. And that web address is www.livesinthebalance.org. How are you today? This is is the time each week where we can uh, kick back, uh, have some hot beverage in front of us, um, and just sit back and think um, about your kid, um, how you're trying to go about helping him. Um, just relax a little bit and think about uh, the struggles you're having and whether maybe there are different lenses you could be wearing that would uh, see him or her more accurately and that would uh, help you move the process forward um, better than you may be moving the process forward right now. I must get 50 emails a week at this point from people who are struggling with a uh, challenging kid and um, sometimes uh, struggling to implement collaborative problem solving. And um, so I don't know if there are many folks who are as in touch with how hard it is out there in your home uh, as I am. Um, That's why we do this program. It doesn't cost anything. 
and uh, we don't need any donors to support it. Uh, it's uh, all free, and it's a public service of the nonprofit Lives in the Balance, uh, Lives in the Balance that I created to um, help and to provide, among other things, this program so that people can get the support and information that they need. We do not have any callers scheduled for today. Sometimes I schedule callers, but I didn't today. So I am going to turn straight to the uh, email. I'm actually going to start with the ones that I've received most recently and uh, work my way through. All right, so here's one. Uh, Dr. Green, I just bought the explosive child. Uh, My son is eight and a half. We've had problems with tantrums since birth, it seems, um, seems like every lagging skill on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems applies to him. He will not take responsibility for his actions. For example, he ran up to hug a teacher and knocked her into the wall. He hurt his arm. She thanked him for the hug and reminded him to be more gentle next time. He can be very rough. He told her it was her fault and she, that she fell over and he got extremely mad because he hurt his arm. Then he shoved her. Another example, he ran over to another kid and roughhoused him. The boy is very passive and it scared him. We explained to our son that he needs to be more gentle and apologized to the other boy. The other boy's parents were upset. The boy's parents and I had watched the whole thing unfold. So he knew exactly what happened. Our son said it was the boy's fault for kicking him. We explained that we saw the whole thing. And we calmly explained to him to be more gentle and that we weren't getting after him or mad. He finally apologized at the next game. Um, my husband, let me just read this part. Uh, hold on. These things occur daily. Please help. If we don't pack him what he wants for lunch, he'll uh, throw his lunch on the food or kick the teacher or uh, come home and yell at us for getting him in trouble at school for because we packed him things he wouldn't like, so he got mad and got in trouble. Well, I'm glad that you've uh, picked up The Explosive Child, and um, I hope that you are also reading The Explosive Child, because, um, well, occasionally I sign books for people at talks, and I find that, uh, yes, they picked up The Explosive Child, and we do now have a caller, and as you all know from listening to this program, um, We take callers as top priority, but let me just get through the answer to this, and then we will take our caller from uh, area code 347. Um, If you've picked up and actually read The Explosive Child, because picking it up doesn't do you much good, um, reading it hopefully does, um, then you know that um, challenging behavior is set in motion by lagging skills. And it sounds like this mom does know that, although I'm not positive that it has affected the lenses through which she is viewing her son just yet because we're still saying that he won't take responsibility for his actions. Um, Anyways, sort of an interesting concept, responsibility, accountability. Um, If you're lacking the skills to respond to the demands that are being placed upon you, then I'm not exactly sure what type of responsibility we want a kid to accept. I mean, isn't, well, wouldn't we be helping him be held accountable and take responsible if we figured out what skills he was lacking, figured out 
the specific conditions in which the environment was demanding those skills, those are called unsolved problems, helped him solve those problems. I mean, isn't that the way to help a kid, quote-unquote, take responsibility or be held accountable? If if you're demanding that a kid take responsibility, and what a lot of people either mean, what a lot of people mean by take responsibility is admit what happened. I don't spend a lot of time getting kids to admit what happened, even if I saw it firsthand. I don't really see the point in putting a lot of energy into admissions. I see a lot of point in putting a lot of energy into figuring out what skills a kid is lacking, figure out what unsolved problems are setting in motion challenging episodes and getting those problems solved. Believe you me, if you're doing that, you're putting forth a lot of energy. But I don't put a lot of energy into getting kids to admit what happened. I find that a lot of times we try to get a kid to admit what happened when, in fact, he'd be far more likely to engage in problem solving with us. Does he have to admit what happened to engage with us in problem solving, or does he merely need to acknowledge that, yes, indeed, this is a problem for him? Kids are generally willing to do that. But admitting what happened, you could take years, and the kid might still not admit what happened. In the meantime, over those years, you could have been busy solving a lot of problems because he would have engaged with you on that. So I don't put a lot of time in. Uh, you know, there's another uh, accountability as I've sometimes said in my talks, often for many adults. So that's what responsibility means for a lot of people is get the kid to admit what you think he did or what you saw him do. I don't put a lot of time into that, ever. Uh, Accountability for many people means add more pain. But as I always say, the kids that I work with are the ones who've had more pain added than most of us will experience in a lifetime. If adding pain was going to get the job done, it would have gotten the job done a long time ago. Isn't a kid being held accountable when we are engaging him in working on solving the problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes? Aren't you holding him accountable then? Of course you are. And that form of holding a kid accountable, I find, is far more effective, far more productive, far more humane than simply adding more pain. So I don't think that the focal point is to get the kid to take responsibility for his actions, not not if responsibility means admitting what happened. And by the way, not if admitting means having him not blame other people for the things that happened to him that he's not happy about. I don't know if he's going to do that anytime soon. I think the longer you do those things, so long, the longer that's your definition of holding him responsible or holding him accountable, well, look, the longer you're holding off on solving the problems that are setting in motion the behaviors that you wanted him to take responsibility for in the first place. You're holding a kid accountable. You are helping him take responsibility when you engage him in a process of solving problems collaboratively so that the unsolved problems that are setting in motion his challenging episodes in the first place get solved and he doesn't have any challenging episodes to be taking responsibility for in the first place anymore. So we got some unsolved problems. It sounds to me like uh, your son, talking to this mom here, um, may be lacking the skill of appreciating body space, 
may be lacking the skill to appreciate um, how physical he can be to people sometimes. I know that was being called roughhousing, but I'm trying to put this in less judgmental terminology. It sounds like we have an unsolved problem about what he likes to eat for lunch and whether it's getting packed or not. We have embedded within this email, we have three unsolved problems that we could be busy solving, and once they're solved, they won't be setting in motion challenging behavior anymore. So long as we stick with a more conventional definition of responsibility or accountability, these problems won't get solved, the challenging episodes will continue, and we will continue believing that this kid isn't very good at taking responsibility. Thank you for your email. Now let's get to work solving problems. And if you've been reading The Explosive Child, then if you've made your way about two-thirds of the way through the book, then you now know what that looks like. And now comes the hard part, doing it, getting over the hump, and sticking with it, even when it's hard, and even when you want to throw in the towel. Let's... um. Uh, our caller has disappeared. I was uh, busy reading the email. Maybe our caller um, was simply calling to listen. And, of course, you all know that you can listen in many other ways. You may have noticed on the Lives in the Balance website that you can now get these programs on your uh, through iTunes. I must say this is a technology I do not completely comprehend, but um, you can do it that way now if you want to. Let's go to another uh, email. Second, let me pull that up. Here's another one. Uh, even there's a mom writing. Uh, even before I was a parent, I always wanted to be this kind of parent. I always wanted to be able to sit down with my children and discuss problems and solve them together. Unfortunately, I did not have that kind of a child. Uh, oh wait, a minute. I did not have this as a childhood. I did not have a voice, and I had a very challenging teenage life, and I do not want that for my own kids. I would like to know how I can implement this practice with a a three-and-a-half-year-old. I've tried timeouts and reward charts, and I always end up losing control, getting angry and frustrated. I start yelling, and my son starts crying, and I feel like a terrible parent. I have read one, two, three magic, but counting doesn't work either. Is it possible to do collaborative problem-solving with a child so young? What else can I do that doesn't cause me to resort to losing my cool and screaming at them? Please help. Thank you for your email. Um, That email has some pain in it. Um, This is a mom who uh, has some regrets about she herself was parented and apparently and wants to do things differently with her own kids and wants to get that started as early as possible and uh, doesn't want to lose control. No one does get angry, get frustrated, start yelling, and get a kid to start crying and feeling like a terrible parent. Don't think anybody wakes up in the morning thinking, now there's the definition of a good day. Um It's interesting, though, I find that um, a lot of people who are parents now regret not having had a voice in childhood. Well, if you're doing plan A, your kid has no voice. 
whether you're doing one, two, three, plan A, or plan A without a three-second delay, your kid has no voice. He's doing what you said because you said so. And what he thinks about it, and what he feels about it, and whether he has a problem with it, and in the parlance of collaborative problem solving, whether he has a concern or perspective on it, if you're doing plan A, all of that flies out the window because the person whose concern matters when you're doing plan A is yours. And you are getting the kid to follow your solution and go along with your plan based merely on the through, through sheer force of your will. Um, I think kids need a voice. And I don't think and I'm not saying this mom is, this mom clearly wants her kid to have a voice. There's no downside to your kid having a voice. Yes, even in a regular old kid, it's a little bit less efficient to have your kid have a voice, but you do want your kid talking to you, don't you? Amazing. We spend the first 12 to 13 years of a kid's life doing plan A and taking away his voice and imposing our will and imposing our solutions and making him do what we want him to do through sheer force of our will. And then we're upset because he won't talk to us as an adolescent. And then, better yet, we say, well, that's adolescence. That's not adolescence. That's a kid who we trained not to talk to us because we had been busy blowing his concerns off the table. Why would we want to do that? Well, in the case of a challenging kid, we definitely don't want to be doing it because if you blow a challenging kid's concerns off the table, he's going to blow. You throw plan A at a kid who doesn't have the skills to handle people imposing their will on him, he's going to blow. All right. So I am uh, very sorry to this mom that you didn't have a voice. And I'm ecstatic that you don't want that for your own kids. Most of the time that parents lose control, get angry, and get frustrated and start yelling and the kid starts crying and the parent feels like a terrible parent is when plan A is being implemented emergently. Those things happen in the heat of the moment, often set in motion by plan A. All right, what that tells us is that we may not want to be doing plan A. We don't want to be throwing fuel on the fire in the heat of the moment. We want a different way to solve problems that doesn't involve imposition of adult will and a way that involves solving problems proactively and collaboratively rather than emergently and unilaterally. If you're solving problems emergently and unilaterally, plan A, um, and you have a challenging kid, you've greatly increased the likelihood of losing control, getting angry, getting frustrated, yelling, feeling like a terrible parent, and having your child start crying. Those are all heat of the moment, set in motion by plan A, unilateral problem-solving byproducts. Plan B is collaborative problem-solving. It's when adult and child are solving problems together, coming up with hearing the concerns of each other, and coming up with solutions that 
are realistic, meaning both parties can do what they're agreeing to, and mutually satisfactory, meaning that not only have the concerns of both parties been heard, they've been addressed. Because it's proactive, and because it's collaborative, and because the solutions are mutually satisfactory, we've greatly reduced the likelihood of losing control, getting angry and frustrated, yelling, feeling like a terrible parent, and having your son start crying. The key ingredients, proactive, collaborative. Now, to be proactive, that means we need to make a list. And what I'd recommend to this mom is go to the Lives in the Balance website, go to the paperwork section, print out the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, Figure out what skills your son is lacking so that you have the right lenses on. Figure out, and this is especially important, what unsolved problems are reliably and predictably setting in motion challenging episodes in your household. Decide which ones you want to start working on first. That's called prioritizing. And get to work solving problems collaboratively and proactively. The ones you're not working on right now, those are going to be plan C. The ones you are working on right now, that's going to be plan B. Notice I've left out the plan that sets in motion timeouts, losing control, getting angry and frustrated, yelling, feeling like a terrible parent, and son starts crying. Plan A. Counting to three is just one, two, three, A. It's plan A on a three-second delay. I find that uh, plan A on a three-second delay basically in a challenging kid is just as likely to set in motion challenging episodes as plan A not on a three-second delay. Counting doesn't teach a kid the skills he's lacking. Counting doesn't solve the problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes reliably and predictably. Counting doesn't do that. How would counting do that? The way not to lose control and scream is to identify the unsolved problems that you know are coming and then start solving them proactively. By the way, in addition to the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, um, there's also just keeping track for a week of all of the demands or situations or conditions in which challenging episodes are occurring or in which your son is balking, or in which there's disagreements or conflict. That's another way to create a list of unsolved problems. The good news is it's not usually something different every week. It's not usually something different every day. You keep track of what is setting in motion challenging episodes or disagreements or conflict for a week. I think you pretty much got your list. The list of unsolved problems. You've got your agenda. Then prioritize and decide which ones you're going to start working on first. And then comes the hardest part, doing plan B well. But that's the basic order of events. Thank you so much for your email. Um, A lot of pain out there. A lot of people wanting to do it better than what was done to them. take another one 
Hello, Dr. Green. Your guidance has been so helpful. Thank you. In addition to what I've learned from your books, I have a question. Once you have a good idea of what skills are lacking, what are the next steps? That is, I'd like to help my six-year-old son in a proactive way, outstanding, not at the point when a problem arises. How do I help him develop an ability to persist on challenging or tedious tasks, for example, without focusing attention on a specific problem? Is it possible to create a safe context in which you can learn, practice, and grow these skills? Great question. They all are. They always are. Um, once you figure out what skills your uh, son is lacking, you have the right lenses on, but you don't necessarily have the list of all the skills that you're going to be teaching directly because the reality is you're going to be teaching skills indirectly most of the time by solving problems collaboratively and proactively. So you've already got the proactive part down pat. You don't, you don't want to be solving problems or, or indirectly teaching skills when a problem has already come up. That's not ideal timing for accomplishing much. But if you've identified that developing an ability to persist on challenging or tedious tasks is the lagging skill you'd like to work on with your son, then I would pick a specific instance, specific example in which that occurs, and I would call that an unsolved problem. And I would begin doing proactive plan B to try to solve that problem. So let's say that that is math homework. And let's say that math homework is not the only challenging or tedious task, but one challenging or tedious task that your son is having difficulty uh, uh, persisting on. When you're working on persisting on math homework, first of all, you're learning a lot in the empathy step about why your son is having difficulty persisting on math homework. And by the way, difficulty persisting on math homework may not be comprised of the same ingredients or same reasons for difficulty persisting as difficulty persisting on um, brushing teeth, difficulty persisting on getting ready for school in the morning. They, they may be different reasons that your son is having difficulty persisting. So you are actually solving one problem at a time. Now, having said what I just said, there's also an excellent likelihood that the reason your son is having difficulty persisting on one thing is similar to the reason he's having difficulty persisting on another, in which case, if you're solving the problem of difficulty persisting on the math homework and learning as much about that as you can and solving that problem, you may have given yourself a jump start on solving other similar examples of difficulty persisting. We won't know that until you find out why your son is having difficulty persisting on the math homework. I guess here's the key point, another key point. While you're working on difficulty persisting on the math homework, you are working on difficulty persisting. It's just that you're working on a specific example of that instead of working on that in a more generic, global way. I actually don't know how I would work on difficulty persisting generically. I know how I work on the unsolved problems that are examples of difficulty persisting, but I don't know how I'd work on difficulty persisting in general. And to tell you the truth, in the empathy step, here's how that would sound. 
I've noticed that you sometimes have trouble persisting. What's up? At a purely practical level, the kid's going to give you a look and say, huh? Or I don't know what you're talking about. Or I don't want to talk to you. Or I don't know. Or they might say nothing at all. I'd rather work on a specific example. Once again, those are called unsolved problems. Then try to work on something that's so generic that the kid doesn't even know what you're working on and that it's going to be really difficult to work on in the first place. I don't know how you work on persisting generically. I don't know how you work on difficulty making transitions generically. I don't know how you work on any, well, most, not there are some you could work on directly. I don't know how you work on most of the items in the lagging skill section of the ALSIP generically. The lagging skill section helps you get the right lenses on. Boy, this kid sure is lacking a lot of skills. Boy, no wonder what we've been doing hadn't been working. Boy, kind of feeling sorry about how I've been treating him. Lagging skills help you view a kid through the right lenses, help you take a more sympathetic stance, a more empathic stance. That's what the lagging skill section does. But the unsolved problem section helps you identify these specific unsolved problems that are examples of those lagging skills and helps engage the kid in a conversation more easily than trying to engage him over a specific lagging skill. I hope all that makes sense. I think I explained that okay. So to our mom... You work on lagging skills most of the time by working on the unsolved problems that are the examples of those lagging skills. That makes it easier for the kid to participate, and you're safe in the knowledge that at least indirectly you are indeed working on lagging skills. Now, as to the second part of your question, is it possible to create a safe context in which he can learn, practice, and grow these skills? I've just described that context in which he can learn, practice, and grow these skills. It's called Proactive Plan B. Proactive Plan B helps create a context in which problems can be solved, skills can be learned, skills can be practiced. And it's safe because it's not punitive and it's not adults imposing their will and it's not adult-imposed consequences. It's just two people, mom and son, putting their heads together to solve problems together. And as beautiful as that may sound, it's hard. Shall we turn our attention to another one? We do not have callers today, and I fear that the programs we have missed because of my travel schedule account for that, or it could be just that I haven't uh, been planning for people to call in, which I may start doing. Truth is, though, I love answering these questions. We, We get a lot of information covered when we're answering questions. Dr. Green, we have been actively practicing Plan B with our six-year-old son. We can see it is starting to make a difference. Good. But we have questions. Good. There are situations when my husband and I just don't know how to proceed without Plan A, especially when it involves violent episodes that may put other children in danger. For example, we know sticks are a hot spot for our son. 
we were going to dinner at a friend's house, and we proceeded with proactive plan B about solving the problem of wanting to hit others with sticks. He came up with a solution. After dinner, the kids went out to play, and we reminded him of this solution just in case. Now, I want to remind you, I want to just point out here, you haven't told us what the solution is, because the solution is great, but it would be great for us also to evaluate whether the solution was really realistic and mutually satisfactory. And, of course, here comes the rest of the story. Two minutes later, our older son comes in saying his brother is chasing his younger uh, other children around with a stick that had a nail at the end of it. He found it in the yard and was running around trying to hit the other kids with it. We felt at a loss for what to do. We had to remove him from a dangerous situation with time out so he could calm down. How do you move forward with emergency plan B when someone could get hurt? Well, to tell you the truth, if he's chasing other kids with a stick with a nail at the end of it, uh, plan A is a viable option at that moment. Just remember, you're a now, you are now intervening in the heat of the moment, emergently. Uh, let's work on that one. The rest is about another uh, unsolved problem. Um, emergency plan A is an option at the moment that your son is clearly not going with the solution that you agreed to with proactive plan B prior to arriving at the friend's house. Um, and there's a few things we could talk about there. First of all, I wonder why the solution didn't work. Well, I've already briefly alluded to that. The solutions that don't work are solutions that weren't as realistic and mutually satisfactory as they may have seemed to have been. So just because there's a solution in play doesn't mean that it's realistic and mutually satisfactory. Let me put that a different way. Just because we've arrived at a solution doesn't mean we're ready to sign off on it yet. We still have a lot of thinking to do. Thinking about, is the solution that we've agreed on really realistic? Can, can he do it? Is it mutually satisfactory? Does it address the concerns of both parties? What's my probability estimate of the odds of the solution that we're about to agree on working? If, if, the, uh, if you're pegging the odds of a solution working at below 60 to 70 percent, you still have more talking to do. You're not ready to sign off on that solution. You're about to sign off on a low-odds solution. Uh, what's the point of that? So I'm sniffing out here that because the solution didn't work, and of course this is easy to talk about in hindsight, the goal is to be thinking about this before we sign off on it. In hindsight, the solution clearly didn't work. And that must mean because there was it wasn't as realistic as we thought it was and it wasn't as or and or it wasn't as mutually satisfactory as we thought it was. So there's the answer to that question. But that's an example I love the example because it's an example of we tried proactive plan B, but the solution we came up with wasn't didn't get the job done. All right, back to proactive plan B. Just try to figure out why that solution didn't work in the first place. Um, most of the time people are feeling need to do plan A once they're doing proactive plan B, and this mom clearly is, which is outstanding, once people, in, in conditions like that where you're finding the need to do 
emergency plan A. Well, emergency plan A is an option at that moment. Believe it or not, emergency plan B is an option at that moment. And here's what it would sound like. You're chasing kids with a stick with a nail at the end of it. What's up? I mean, you're saying that emergently, too. Here's emergency plan A. Stop chasing kids with the stick with the nail in the end of it. Uh, both are emergency options. I don't know. Both have the potential to stop him. Um, plan A usually causes challenging kids to have a challenging episode. I wonder if we had to use timeout um, and uh, let me read this. Uh, I wonder if we needed to use timeout and have him get upset. I wonder if emergency plan B might have been a viable option at that moment. I'm not saying that your use of emergency plan A was a bad idea. You have a kid who is chasing other kids around with a stick with a nail at the end of it. So, um, yeah, sounds like a time when emergency plan A could be an option. I'm just letting you know that emergency plan B was an option there as well, though I wasn't there, so you'd know better. Plan C would not be an option there. That's probably obvious. We're not just going to walk back in the house and say to people, yep, our son is chasing your son around with a stick with a nail at the end of it. You guys good with that? So plan C is not an option at that moment. That's right. Good for you, Mom, that you're doing proactive plan B. Make sure your solutions that you're arriving at in proactive plan B are really realistic Plan B is not pie in the sky. Plan B is not wishful thinking. Do your do a probability estimate before you sign off on a solution, and if your probability of that solution working is below 60 to 70%, there must be something about that solution that's giving you pause. The solution needs refining, modifying before you should sign off on it. Good? And then slowly but surely, I think you're going to be seeing that you don't have violent episodes because the unsolved problems that might have set in motion violent episodes will have been solved. I think we have time for one more email today. We're making good headway on the emails. Dr. Green, I just finished reading The Explosive Child and it explains my six-year-old boy exactly. It's not the same mom. My son is a perfectionist and has a lot of anxiety and stress to do well. He is super well-behaved at school with teachers, coaches, and saves his explosions primarily for me, his mother. I knew starting first grade would rock his world, and the last few weeks have been awful with explosions. This, by the way, was sent about uh, two weeks ago. His explosions are getting worse and worse, and I don't know what to do if he's in the middle of them. I just let him go. He physically and verbally attacks me and his younger four-year-old brother, and this can go on for two and a half hours. If I go into his room with him and shut his door, he throws things at me, kicks me, hits me, and screams, and he hates me. I don't try to reason with him during these moments because I know he needs to calm down. However, I cannot go through being attacked or having him attack his younger brother if he refuses to isolate himself. Help. It's making home life miserable for everyone. That makes good sense. Um... I'm glad you have read The Explosive Child, and I'm glad, well, I. now we need to start doing what's in there. There's nothing incredible to do in the heat of the moment. 
I don't have great advice for heat at the moment except keep people safe and but then as aggressively and quickly as possible start moving toward crisis prevention not crisis management you want to identify the unsolved problems of setting in motion challenging episodes and try to start solving them proactively then you're not going to be dealing with the heat of the moment as often then your son's going to come to see you as a helper and collaborator even by the way when he's upset in the heat of the moment proactive plan b i find can set the stage for emergency plan b to go better now there's a few things that uh first of all the the fact that your son is exploding outside inside the home but not outside of it is kind of typical so don't don't take that personally a lot of people would interpret that as evidence that you're a uh, poor disciplinarian and that his challenging episodes are your fault, um, so don't believe them. Um, you don't want to just let the explosions go. You can talk with a kid outside the heat of the moment proactively about what to do if things should get to the heat of the moment, but I think what you mostly want to do is get your list. This is similar to one of the other emails I answered earlier. Get your list of unsolved problems. Decide which ones you're going to start working on proactively and then start using Plan B to solve them proactively, and you're going to find yourself pondering what to do in the heat of the moment far less often because you're solving the problems that are setting the stage for the heat of the moment episodes in the first place. My advice to people for heat of the moment is keep everybody safe. The second part of that advice is start solving problems proactively so you don't find yourself in the heat of the moment so often. So, good that you have picked up the explosive child. Good that you've read it. Picking it up is the first step. Reading it is the second. This isn't an advertisement. This is just a mom who's told me that she's picked it up and read it. But then comes the hardest part. Got to do it. And doing it means making your list of unsolved problems, figuring out what skills your child is lacking so that he's so that you're clear on in the abstract at least the situations that will set in motion challenging episodes, namely situations that are demanding those skills, but you can identify those situations in very specific terms. Those are called unsolved problems. So you've got some work to do here, and then comes the hardest work of all doing plan B so that you're not finding yourself in the heat of the moment so much anymore because the problems are solved that we're setting in, moment, in motion the heat of the moment in the first place. Hope that helps. That's the goal of this program, helping, supporting, answering your questions. I um, fear that we do not have time for another uh, email. Um, and so, um, you know what I'm thinking? We're going to call it a day for today. I want to thank you for uh, listening today. I hope that uh, the information that you heard today was helpful to you. And um, I hope you'll listen in again next week. To my knowledge, we don't have any more interruptions to this program moving forward except for uh, national holidays. Um, So... Uh, We'll get ourselves a roll on again, and we've got our parents' panel again next week. Um, One dad, three moms getting together with me here on this program, talking, thinking, 
etc. Thanks for listening today. Um, Join in on the parents' panel next week.